Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. The TV Wheel. I made the TV wheel as a place for puppets. Is this what you want? Is this what you want? Look at all the different ones. How I loathe them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less, and in this case, much, 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 much less. My name is William DeBiani. <laughs> I'm a film critic for Crave Online at Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute, con- con- contribute, contribute and, all and, over, and also contribute to uh, Crave Online and to Blumhouse.com and to Nerdist.com. And two other sites as well. You're you're a, you're a every man, man's man, man um, about town. Regular bon vivant. Sure. Bon vivant. Uh, I don't know what that means. You're a certain I don't know what. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to Cancel I, Too Soon. We're I do possess excited. plenty of that. We've done a couple of themed episodes. We're going to do like a whole month of this or anything like that because oh. I think we'd run out of material pretty fast. But we're both really huge Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans. And Mystery Ooh. Science Theater 3000 as you probably well know, is now officially back on Netflix. There's a bunch of new episodes. I'm really digging it. Mm. Whitney? Have, haven't had a chance to see beyond the first two yet. I think it hits its stride, like, after a couple episodes. Like, yeah, the first yeah. one, there's a really great song, and then, like, the riffs are kind of, like, they're finding their mojo, but I mm. think by Beast of Hollow Mountain, I think they're at they're, right. they're doing something really wonderful. Okay, again. okay. Um, so... Mr. Science 3000 was a very popular cult TV series about a guy and his robots riffing uh, against bad movies, which didn't exist before Mystery Science Theater 3000 as like a comedic art form. Like, it, so people had tried it, but it wasn't, wasn't a thing. Well, it, it was more uh, really kind of born of late night TV uh, sort of uh, movie broadcasts. Back in the days of public television, there were a lot of local public affiliates that would kind of gather great big packs of public domain movies or movies that weren't in the public domain but could be purchased for super duper cheap and a whole generation grew up staying up late watching those yeah and uh, zuckery Brim zucker famously when they started broadcasting tv all night uh famously would set their brand new cut of the edge state of the art uh i did that on purpose uh, vcrs yeah. and tape all night tv and Hence was born the Kentucky Fried movie. Yeah, they saw what they, like the weird commercials and the weird movies they would see, and they just sort of made this weird comedy films out of it. Yeah, uh, Joel Hodgson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater, a guy from Minnesota, uh, also watched these movies. Thought, hey, it's really fun to get together and watch these old cheesy movies. What if we had a sort of a late night horror host sort of thing? Yeah, which is sci fi themed. It's and, another thing that was born out of that era, <clears throat> that whole Elvira vampire bit. Where yeah. listen, we have the movies, we'll shoot a couple of cheap host segments with people making dumb jokes, and we'll sort of truss it up a bit and make it kind of fun to watch them with a the host. He's like, why don't we have the host segments throughout the entire movie? Yeah, well, and, and, and it, if, quite funny. if you've seen the original pilot for Mystery Science Theater yeah. from like the KTMA, I don't think this even aired for the movie The Green <laughs> Slime back in like 1989, I think, or maybe yeah. 87, maybe. Uh, it was just Joel in the theater. And it was just, we saw his silhouette very, very tiny in the corner. And 
he wouldn't necessarily uh, riff or make jokes or kind of come up with comedy bits. He would just sort of talk occasionally. Yeah. And indeed, the early episodes, I think a lot of it wasn't scripted. Some of yeah. it was improvised. They were just watching the movie mm. and making the gag. So it was funny. It was kind of a miracle. Mm. As the series eventually evolved, Comedy Central picked it up. It became an important mm. part of their early lineup when they were a network. Um, they started having proper writers' rooms, coming up with really, really great gags that were kind of mm. workshopped and honed to the extent where it really was like you know you get like five thousand pop culture references in mm. one episode, and it was this sort of we had Joel Hansen on our other podcast this week, mm. the B Movies podcast, which was a great interview. Holy crap, it was awesome. <laughs> we were having for an hour and, and ten minutes, and, and I kept my cool. I didn't like freak out or geek out, and at once, I so, freaked yeah. out and geeked out the entire time, and I'm letting myself have that one. <laughs> I met Spielberg because, and I kept my cool. I met Joel and I freaked out. Because uh, you and I, like, I, I discovered Mystery Science Theater in high school when it was still maybe in its third season or so yeah. uh, of Comedy Central. And it, like many people, it kind of influenced my sarcasm. Sure. Like, it, it's a great way to hone your sarcasm muscle. Mm-hmm. You have uh, to be on it. You have to be constantly, not just talking we have uh, to constantly be reacting right and that's actually a pretty good way to be a comedian is to mm. just constantly listen and mm. be aware of how to deliver a reaction to that that is funny mm. it could uh, be a, it could be a simple just reaction to a comment it could be a pop culture reference it could be mm. a song it could be anything and then the disconnect is funny uh, the juxtaposition is as sure. as it were um Joel, Joel would hate Joel himself would hate this sort of language because he seems to dislike when people kind of analyze what he's done. Well, on our he, podcast, yeah, he said like he was just thought it would be funny if like yeah. he really wasn't putting all of this like serious film school thought into mm. it. But I think the reason why it works is because when you look at it, you mm. can see well, this very uh, clear logical comedic mm. through line. I think mm. it b- the reason why it works is because it can be analyzed like well, this. If well, that makes and sense. also. Um, and I hate to bring him up because it's going to make me sound like a completely pretentious blowhard, but have you read Marshall McLuhan? Yes, I've yeah. read Marshall now, McLuhan. Uh, Mystery Science Theater is actually a very vital uh, way of sort of proving a lot of McLuhan's writing in that it's what they call, it's very hot, it's hot criticism. Mm. It's criticism of a thing as it is unspooling. Yeah. And while it doesn't take a you know necessarily a very sophisticated mindset to do that, you can just get drunk with a teenager and as a teenager and just do that. Right. But, uh, it's also kind of a very vital way of kind of analyzing our own relationship with movies and with media. And, uh, I think that notion was so brilliant and was so hot and caught on so well that it's influenced not just comedians and, you know, sort of jokes that we've taken, but the way a lot of people are reacting to all media now in the YouTube age. Yeah. Now, the, I think a lot. some mm. people have articulated lately, now mm. that MST3K is back and really important again, um, that they find this approach to watching movies with a sort of a riff audio track mm. um, somewhat mean-spirited, maybe even insulting to the original work. Joel disagrees with that, but I disagree with that too because I think this really is... He describes it in the podcast as sort of a document of when we watch this movie. Mm. Hearing your own running commentary when you're watching a movie, if you're an active participant yeah, in yeah. the art, when you're not just sitting there just letting it happen, when you're actually thinking about every line of dialogue, what's being said, if you're rejecting the movie because the movie isn't very well made, your running commentary is different. Mm. And I think MST3K gave voice to that. Mm. Now, we bring all this up 
<laughs> because as, as a lengthy intro. Because we love Mystery Science Theater 3000, and we wanted to do a couple of MST3K-themed episodes. Last week, we did The Master, a whitewashed uh, American ninja in America... Well, but it, from it, Japan. It, it wasn't whitewashed. It was just uh, an American went to Japan. Okay. Uh, it was a white le- savior narrative. He became the great ninja. It was, it was, it was yeah, white, white man goes native sort of thing. He yeah. goes to Japan, becomes a ninja, leaves yeah. the ninja clan. Now he's played by Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. He is too old to do his own stunt work. <laughs> so he just puts on a mask and uh, boom, he Shokasugi, the great martial artist who's in a lot of great movies in the 80s. He teams up with uh, Timothy Van Patten and they travel around in a van, a really pervy van, which is something I think we forgot to bring up last week. We've different because there was a time when heroes drove vans with no windows. Yeah. Like Captain America. You look at the Captain America TV movies in the 70s. He was driving around in that same van, and now that's just not cool. That wasn't just for kidnappers at one point. <laughs> it's also for motorcycles. <laughs> um, but that show was terrible, and it was. It, we, I think we both but agreed it, it was pretty it, terrible. But and, it and made its way. The, the whole series, as we iterated last week, was uh, edited into several feature films. TV movie type deals. With yeah. no attempt to make, have any sort of overarching narrative. They would just air, edit two kind of yeah. random episodes yeah. next to each here's other. Here's one episode, here's it. the next episode. Ne'er the Twain Shall Meet. But it's now one single narrative. Yeah, and, so they aired as two different episodes of MST3K Master Ninja and Master Ninja 2. In fact, it was Master Ninja 1. Wasn't it? Uh, might have been. I don't know. I think it's Master Ninja 1. Well, I guess and Master they knew Ninja they had it too, so I might yeah. as well say it. In any case, uh, it was terrible. But it was a yeah. show that they riffed on. And now this week on Cancel Too Soon, mm-hmm. we're going to do a television series that Joel Hodgson created after he left Mystery Science Theater 3000. And that big, lengthy kind of film school intro, I think, is apropos because the show that we're about to talk mm-hmm. about is kind of born of that kind of mindset that he yeah. claims MST3K didn't come from. It is a show called, and I'm sorry, we don't really have a clip for this one because mm. it was one. It was one episode. It only aired once. It was it was a pi- was, pilot that was shelled for a couple of years and then brought back and aired once. Yeah. So so it falls within our purview. It, it, it counts. Oh, it totally counts. Yeah. We just don't have like a clip to play for mm. you. It is a TV show called The TV Wheel. Mm. The TV Wheel is on its surface basically a sketch comedy show, and it's a sketch comedy show with. One um, might add, one hell of a cast. And this, the, and keep in mind, this was shot in like ninety five, like mid ninety five. So yeah. this was before a lot of these people were like big. For the most part, you might have recognized a couple of these people, but you probably didn't. Mm. Here's some of the talent that was involved <laughs> in the TV wheel: Judd Apatow. Yep. For the creator of Freaks and Geeks, and who also helped kind of revolutionize comedy in the late two thousands. But but who was. Performing, yeah, but who was nobody at the time? Yeah. Uh, Paul Feig, also Freaks and Geeks fame. He, he directed Ghostbusters and Bridesmaids and The Heat and Spy. We had him on our other podcast. He's a really nice guy. Very well dressed, that man. Yeah. Uh, let's see a couple of their highlights: mm. Doug Benson, stand-up comic, uh, uh, pronounced stoner. Pronounced uh, profound, profo- stoner. Pro- pro- profoundly stoned. Uh, yeah. he, he in fact directed a documentary film called Super High Me. Yeah, who was trying to it? sort of kind of explode a lot of myths about marijuana and was stoned the whole time. And you know, from the podcast, Doug loves movies and the Benson Interruption, mm-hmm. the shows you probably listen to before you hear ours. <laughs> You've probably uh, heard a lot of him already. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what we got here David Cross before mm-hmm. he did Mr. Show and Arrested Development. He was on the mm-hmm. TV wheel. Andy Kindler, he plays Mort on Bob's Burgers. He was in 
in the Wizards of Waverly Place, and everybody mm-hmm. does Raymond. He was on the TV wheel. Uh, what do we got here? Fred Stoller, also from Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a really terrible 1989 comedy called Big Man on Campus, which is about a hunchback <laughs> who lived in the bell tower at UCLA. Oh, jeez. That movie is awful. And he, I've probably was, seen it eight times. He was also was on cable. He was also in Dr. Doolittle, colon, <laughs> Million Dollar Mutts. Ah, playing yes. a character named Fluffernutter Man. Who could forget? Uh, uh, also uh, also involved uh, Nick Bouquet, who was the voice of Salem on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So oh. a lot of cool people there, and a couple mm-hmm. other names you might not be as familiar with, but are very, very talented. Um, Morwenna Banks... Uh, what do we got here? Melissa Samuels, David Allen, a um, lot of really, really amazing people. To Mo- Steve Banos as well. M- most of these people, I mean, all of these people are still working. Uh, most yeah. of them went on to be very, very famous. And a and- lot of them, if you look at their IMDb credits, oh. they're on a lot of the same stuff together. Like a, a disproportionate number of people involved in the TV wheel worked mm. on the uh, Pauly Shore movie Jury Duty. Yeah, so they all they travel in groups, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, you get you get your friends work. You know they're yeah. funny. You, you get them involved. Oh, we need a bit guy to play a waiter. <laughs> all right, fine. I know now I'm, now Steve Banos, whoever. Now, now I'm picturing uh, Sam Neill like laying against a hillock with his pith helmet on, <laughs> seeing a bunch of Doug Benson saying they do travel in herds. <laughs> Just about. Uh, the but, TV wheel is not just a sketch comedy show. It's not just a collection of sketches. Again, it is a high, 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 high concept. Con- well, and you can tell, even though he, uh, Joel kind of rejects this sort of analysis, he's clearly interested in kind of dissecting uh, a certain kind of uh, TV consumption. And he felt, and he said, the way they aired this was they showed the pilot, but before they showed the pilot, there was this sort of sort of intro that explained well, the premise. And, well, it's a little complicated uh, because the way that the show worked is it was supposed to be done live, like every yeah. sketch together, mm. and it was supposed to be done without cutting. Well, so, well, that, well be, so okay. what that happened was when they aired it for when they shot it, it was originally shot for HBO. Mm. That wasn't a problem. But eventually, it didn't air on HBO. This aired as a one-time special on Comedy Central. And in order to air it without cuts, he needed to create a longer intro. So it would run as an hour. So you can run a lot of commercials in the front half. So he created uh-huh. new content as he introduced the idea of the right. TV wheel and created sort of a, a jokey mini-narrative about a puppet uprising. And then mm. the second half was mostly just the TV wheel show. The TV wheel show... Well, uh, is complicated. Well, uh, he uh, Joel says in that intro that he was very interested in sort of what he uh, consumed as a kid, which was uh, very immediate live TV. He felt that there, since there wasn't a lot of live TV anymore, other than you know sporting events, maybe uh, that something was lost. That the sort of daring. Uh, theatrical immediacy was gone from television, especially comedy television. Sure. Uh, he remembers, like, I, th- I think he cited the, the Tonight Show, but there was, like, talk shows that were broadcast live. Sure. And how he liked that sort of feeling that anything might happen. Well, the screw-ups are folded in there. They just lay it all in. It's not edited. And it was really simple. You, you it get was it just... very... It goes straight from the TV direct to the audience. Yeah, and it was very, very simple. It was, here's the camera. Mm. It's probably locked down. Maybe it'll tilt slightly. Mm. And it just... It's pointing at a stage and the actors do stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is shot like this as well. Most of the camera angles of the actors when they're not riffing is just mm-hmm. one locked down shot. Right. And then they just act and if there are little, little flubs, little mess ups, unless they completely destroyed the take, mm-hmm. they used it. 
So this was kind of more how TV was. This is kind of how public access was. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to take that and make it weirdly elaborate. So the concept <laughs> of the TV wheel is that the TV is a window. It is a static mm. window. There's you on this side of the TV. There's the people making the show on the other side of the TV. And the window is a, a fixed spot. Mm. And then all that happens is... The TV doesn't cut. They just rotate the stage they, yeah, so they, that you see a, so that you see like another part of the stage, and here's mm. another sketch. And then I, there's the sketch. Then they rotate it some more, and then there's a new set, a new mm. bunch of actors, and a new sketch. And then that keeps going over and over again I, as a constant turn of the wheel. I uh, I just learned that that the does that was originally called the Xbox, which has yeah. nothing to do with uh, the video game system. Yeah, it was originally designed uh, to be on sort of like an X axis. Yeah, it's so there only be like four well, different it, stages. It, and it looks like uh, if if you can imagine it, um, the logo of the Umbrella Corporation from the Resident Evil movies. Sure, it's sort of like just this hexagonal thing that's split up into I think it's eight separate compartments. Yeah, with a little and, sometimes a little negative space in between. Yeah, the but yeah. can the and it's a little bit raised. There's a studio audience that can see into it, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's this gigantic rotating wheel of stages. It's like uh, the Hall of Presidents, <laughs> or, or uh, Imagineering, or whatever well, it was well, from, imagine, from Disneyland. You've seen Jurassic Park, haven't you, audience? Remember that bit where they're actually like having Jurassic Park explained to them, and they're just sitting down, and it rotates? Mm. That's what the TV wheel but is in, as an entire show. In, in Usually the way this works is there's a central hub of stages, and the audience will be rotated around the outside of it, like mm-hmm. as a carousel, and the stage will remain uh, fixed. Uh, for some reason, Joel decided to do it the opposite way. Mm-hmm. He put the camera fixed, and he had the entire stage rotate around the single perspective, right. uh, which means there were little tiny uh, like interstitial stages, like little tiny windows where people could have a short bit, and then they could go to a little bit more elaborate, longer sketch, and then there'd be like a one-person sketch, and then they'd do another more elaborate sketch. Okay, if, if And it would is... just continue on for the continue, no, uninterrupted, no commercial breaks. Yeah. If this is confusing to you, audience, you, perhaps you'd know why the TV wheel lasted only one episode. <laughs> now, it was a, the, a little high concept. Well, it's, it's quite high concept, and it's not high concept in a storytelling way, it's high concept in a sort of a technical way yeah Uh, so the comedy central uh introduction is about like 20 minutes of joel explaining the history of the xbox Mm. how this works the philosophy behind it and you you just start going a little you start staring off into the middle distance after a while it it become it becomes more like a lecture uh, or an analysis before we've even seen the thing yeah and and i think i think the thing is it's not so complicated that you can't understand the premise just from watching it. Yeah. I think if you were to just see the TV wheel bit without the explanation, yeah. and, and if you were to... He said there were going to be no cuts, but there were a few there cuts. constant cuts. Because they... I, I'm guessing HBO ordered this, or maybe Joel just felt this was a good way of explaining things. There are a few cuts uh, of the entire stage rotating, yeah. and of the the live studio. Once audience the show watching. actually begins, it's mm. it opens with it's like you know like a lot of stand up comedy uh, specials open with the comedian doing a little bit, and then they mm. walk out onto the stage. That's what Joel uh, Hodson was doing. Mm. He introduced the show a bit, showed you the TV audience, showed you the TV wheel, briefly mentioned the concept, and then we were off and running. That's kind of all you needed. We didn't need this huge prelude on Comedy Central. Mm. Uh, but in order to sort of sell the concept, make sure it was 100% clear what was happening, 
the first half of the episode, between every sketch, he would cut outside the wheel, mm. and it doesn't sell the premise. And in fact, it takes away from the immediacy, and it takes away from a lot of the philosophy he was espousing in the opening of the Comedy Central mm. bit. But once it's actually going, once you're oh. just there, and it rotates, and there's another scene, and then it rotates, and there's another scene, and you're kind of marveling at the ingenuity of it, at the breathlessness mm. of it, at the extent to which all of these different comedians have to run on and do tiny little bits, and maybe this was intended to mess mm. up, maybe this was just a mess up. It's like, oh, I'm still in my costume. It's like, oh, well, who knows if that was a screw-up. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it, it never tanks so bad you, you don't buy that it might have been intentional. Um, it's, it is kind of hypnotic. Mm. It's quite intoxicating. But you have to just watch it to yeah, get it. Yeah. And when you watch it, and you can see this on YouTube, someone someone's uploaded it. You can see the whole Comedy Central intro. It just takes forever. There is, okay, Orson Welles. I'm going to go back <laughs> all the way to Orson Welles, another okay. pioneer of cinema. Mm. Uh, he, when he got his start as a filmmaker, he was, a, he was the hot toast of Broadway. Mm. He was the star of The Shadow. And he, and he was, was 12 years old. He, he was, was doing yeah. <laughs> stuff no one had ever seen before. He did uh, a, a production of Julius Caesar mm. set in fascist contemporary Italy in which the production design was nothing but beams of light. <laughs> Holy fuck. I, I'm reminded of the scene in Cradle Rock. Angus McFadden plays uh, oh, yeah. Orson Welles in that one. And he, he's going to go ahead with this musical, Cradle Will Rock, and he's staggering out of the theater after holding auditions as if he's already drunk. He might and he, have been. And, and he's yelling out into the public, I see glass! A stage of glass! <laughs> and, and the guy who wrote the musical, Mark Blitzstein, is like, are, are you sure this is this, that's going to be? He's like, oh no, it'll be a good, thick, safe glass! <laughs> so he had these big, big, big ideas, and he ended up making first, first feature film as a director. He ended up making Citizen Kane, which has a lot of complicated narrative ideas, but it works really, really well as a story. He also toyed with a couple of other ideas first, one of which was like sort of a morbid, you know, murder screwball comedy starring Lucille Ball that never went anywhere. But his <laughs> most ambitious one that never got made is an of, of the many of, of his films that didn't oh, get made. Oh, really the most ambitious was Hearts of Darkness. <laughs> he was going to do an adaptation of Hearts of Darkness. Which, but that's Apocalypse Now, by the way. Yeah, Apocalypse yeah. Now is the Vietnam version of that, but yeah. it was by Joseph Campbell many, many years earlier. Joseph Conrad. Joseph Conrad. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm stupid. Stop tweeting uh, by Whitney Cotton. It. It's fine. It's fine. Whitney Cotton. I, uh, I, I mixed up Linklater and Cameron Crowe last you, episode. You called uh, so, Timothy yeah. Van Patten Dick Van Patten's brother. Yeah, you messed that up. Did I? Yeah. Uh, no, they're got, brothers. Got, they're, uh, Dick Van Patten and Timothy Van Patten are brothers. I think you're thinking of... I'm, I'm uh, looking that up. Look that up. Mm. In any case, he mm. wrote an entire script for Hearts of Darkness. He was going to star in Hearts of Darkness, but he wasn't going to star in it. The camera was going to star in it. Uh-huh. It was going to be a long, complicated, elaborate production of Hearts of Darkness in which you, the audience, were the protagonist, and every time you looked in a mirror, you'd see Orson Welles staring back at you. This is a concept that would later be used in a film noir called Lady in the Water. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's it's more of an ambitious experiment mm-hmm. than a good movie. Orson Welles was so concerned about this concept that if you ever get a chance to read the screenplay, and I have, and it was great, mm-hmm. he spends like the first like ten pages of the screenplay showing the experiment and how it works. Like he would talk about how, well, in this, for example, audience, in this scenario, you are a canary, and there's a cage comes down over the camera. Uh-huh. And I ask you to sing for me, Canary. <laughs> Long pause. You're not singing. 
At this point, I take issue with the canary, and he pulls out a gun. Nah. <laughs> He's aiming it at the camera. Or like, there's another bit where he had he envisioned where you're you, the audience, are playing golf, and it's like 3D. It's like Strange Days. It's like virtual reality. <laughs> but the technology did not exist yet at the time. Cameras were I'm, huge. They had balloons over them so that the whirring of the camera wouldn't mess with the sound. Uh, it was completely impractical. Dick Van Patten is uh, Timothy Van Patten and Dick Van Patten are half brothers. Ah. I knew you messed up something. Something. Okay. I was clo- close. My point is this. It's a concept that they they thought was really interesting mm. and that really worked in their heads, but they felt it was so necessary to introduce it to the audience that they probably didn't realize that it just needed to just happen. Mm. The TV wheel, again, it's very immediate. And once we get inside the TV wheel, it's just a sketch show. It's just a sketch show, and uh, you can tell it comes from that same sense of humor of sort of bemused... Uh, kind of weary innocence mm. that uh, t- Mystery Science Theater is kind of based on. It wasn't edgy. It wasn't dark. Uh, a couple of them are kind of dark. Uh, uh, maybe a I, tiny I, bit, I, we'll but we still have like, we still have like forced perspective where they're forcing things in and out of an animal. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of cartoony all the way. I like the, the kiss sketch was really funny. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, there's a, there's a, okay. So there's a sketch where, it's a bunch of people's faces against a black background and hanging underneath their chin are little like marionettes uh, and they're and they're dressed like kiss. Well, and th- uh, you can tell why they did that because they can't get into a full kiss regalia in the amount of time needed for the show, yeah. but they can do the makeup. So they do the makeup <clears throat> and they just hang the puppets on the bottom, fact, and in fact, bottom you, of their chin. You so know, they're just big head kiss. There's a generation of kids from the 70s who can do kiss makeup in a second. Oh, you know, they, they, they just threw on. I'm, yeah. I'm Peter Chris. No, you don't want to be Peter Chris. I'm Ace Freely. <laughs> so uh, uh, the gag with that sketch, and it's mm. probably, it, it, it seems like it pre- presages the cowbell sketch everyone likes from Saturday Night Live. Mm. It's kiss. And Gene Simmons is having none of this theatrical bullshit. He, he doesn't like the makeup yeah. or the costumes at all. Yeah. Damn it, Peter Chris. Everyone wanted to be the cat. You get to be the cat. You're like some kind of star child. I don't know. What am I? <laughs> what am I supposed to be? Who am I? Gene, you're supposed to bring your own character to this. We did the work. <laughs> and he gets so angry, he bites his tongue and his tongue starts hanging out. And then like, they're like, oh, we did it. They, they unlocked Kiss. That's all you needed was his tongue hanging out. <laughs> My favorite line is, Foghat doesn't have to wear this crap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's walk you through the sketches. Okay. So uh, there's a lot, because a lot of them are like only a few seconds long. Yeah. Um, First off. You wrote down all the sketches? I wrote down all the sketches. Oh, wow. Okay. There's a recurring sketch, and we'll just guide you through all these now, Mm. where it's a bunch of guys playing wacky versions of mini golf. Yeah, so the first one is they like and they hit the, the mini golf, but it activates like a, a live uh, a life size version of that board game Mousetrap, mm, and a cage falls on him. Yeah, and it, that was that's done in sort of vaudeville style. They're like mm. re- walking really exaggeratedly. Mm-hmm. It looks like something from Laugh In, and this yeah, one or like was, Buster Keaton and Fatty and, Arbuckle sketches. And know? those sketches weren't on the actual moving stage; those were out in a black space in the studio. Yeah, there's a gap between the stages, yeah. and they realize we can put something in that gap. Yeah, and so they just sort of. Exist in their own little universe. Uh, there's another one where the mini golf setup is actually a skunk butt, and you can kind of see where <laughs> that one's going. There's another one where it's two giant buildings and they fall on them, mm. and then it ends with them having to mini golf to get into heaven, like the gates of heaven, <laughs> and they mini golf and the gates That's open. And they're get- like, yay! Um, I'll say this right away, and this is holds true for most of the sketches, uh, because it's they probably rehearsed this a lot, mm. but because this is so high concept and it hadn't been done before, a lot of the timing is a little off mm-hmm. on a lot of these sketches, which I think adds it, to its, its charm. It, I think it adds to its charm as well. But you can see how an audience like 
is a, feeling a little bit awkward. I think the studio wasn't really on the same wavelength because of those little brief pauses and weird timing. Yeah, it feels like the it, tone of it is if you've ever seen like a really gangbusters student film. Yeah, where it's like there's no way it's polished. It's it's but it's very very unpolished. It's very very unpolished, but it shows a lot of potential. Mm. It's genuinely quite funny, and the rawness of it actually adds to the to the appeal. Which, in a weird way, uh, th- this has occurred to me. This is live, and it's better as live TV than it is as live theater. Like if you're if you're in the if you're in the space and you're seeing those, work. it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Could, this could only work on TV. That lack of polish wouldn't read. You can see an amateur theatrical production and be kind of charmed by it. Yeah, but I don't think if you were in the studio, you would be charmed by this. Yeah, and I think that might explain why the energy in the room seemed a little bit low. It seemed that way to me, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the next mm. the next sketch is uh, King Kong, and he's carrying a Fay Ray uh-huh. uh, uh, type character through forced perspective. Yeah, and she's screaming, and then finally she's just like, "Dang it, we'll never get anywhere in this relationship if we keep yelling at each other." And then he pulls off the mask, and then they just sort of make up. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole bit. Uh, there's another one where it's a guy and a girl. And this that's, one feels that, like an see, Am- that's that's a dad joke. That's a dad joke. <laughs> there's another one. This one feels like an Amazon Women on the Moon sketch, which is a very funny sketch movie, and I'm a big big fan of it. Oh, me too. I love it. There's a sketch where it's a guy and a girl, and they're on a date, and they're in a like a diner, and instead of having like a jukebox there, they've got like a robot bartender, <laughs> and the robot bartender starts like kind of taking pot shots at the dude's masculinity and by the end of it she's drunk making out with the bartender mm. he's fine with being cuckolded it gets weird it's yeah. just this weird bit well, that, you said it's Amazon Women on the Moon that strikes me more as like kids in the hall that kind of like dark mm. absurdity then there's the collector of forbidden dances which plays a bit like an SNL sketch how they still do sketches as if people have public access shows it's 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 an oddly persistent uh, motif that yeah, runs throughout SNL. Yeah, you think SNL, at least updated there? more to YouTube stuff, but this is a, a girl in her bathroom and she's talking to her audience about all the forbidden dances she's collected from around the world, and she's just she's got this like um, oh, what's that character Martin Short did? Uh, uh, Jiminy Glick? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like the, early in his in his career with oh, like, Ed Grimley. Ed Grimley, just mm. this Ed Grimley, socially awkward kind of kind of stereotypical nerd character. Her mom's trying to get in to use the bathtub. Mm. You see that character a lot in sketch comedy because it's, it's it's an easy type. It's an easy type. It's really not that great. Mm. Um, then there's uh, Melissa Samuel shows up and she's about to do a sketch and then the set breaks behind her mm. and then she just starts crying like, all right, fine. Is this what you want? And is this what you want? She starts taking, taking her, top her clothes off. off. Yeah. yeah as it, and at this point, I realized that what mm. I wish this show did, uh-huh. and I think this is the mistake of the show. I think this is what really could have unlocked it. The TV wheel, the concept of the TV wheel, this device mm-hmm. is purely for scientific interest. It should have been the plot. That people are trapped in this TV wheel oh, and they have no, to that's... do this. No, no, no. Because there's this desperation sometimes okay. where they're just like, "Is this what you want to see? Let me out!" Like, there's this sort of well, but that 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 would have put a filter on it. It would have recontextualized everything. It wouldn't have been live TV after that. It still would have been live TV. Well, I mean, it, it would have been live TV, but then you're thinking all of the gaffes are now folded into this premise. I, it, no, it is no, folded that's... into the premise. 
I, think, I, I don't I want think there to the be a premise. premise. I, I don't want the there to be a premise. Is, I want there, there just is to a be. premise. It's the TV wheel, mm. and it's distancing. Mm. It's hard to explain. If you can explain it in terms of plot, it's a mm. hell of a lot easier than explaining it in terms of we have lofty ideas because we read Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. I just think it would have functioned better. No, and it, I think it, once it, it has it, that, that intensity, been a, I think it works. Better. That would have been a no. That's that that would have completely defeated the purpose of the TV wow. wheel. All right, they do a marionette disaster movie, a la mm. uh, uh, Thunderbirds Are Go. Uh, let's see what we got. Uh, here. Joel is very fond of puppets. I, oh yeah, I heard an interview with him once uh, about sort of when he was actually very young, back when he was doing stand up as as a teenager. He was mm. very you know launched into the world of comedy as you know a complete amateur, and he was a prop comic. He uh, would bring out funny props on stage. He would, and his his persona was that he was just a lazy spy. I'm not sure if you've seen a lot of his old no. early stand up. And uh, he, uh, the robots from Mystery Science Theater actually came about because he would like build these robots for friends. That was a way he was making a little extra scratch. Mm. He would just get a bunch of stuff together, build these robots, and that's how Tom Server and Crow were kind of built. He ended up building several robots for the show and only a couple made it onto the show yeah. and hence history was made. Well, they do. They yeah. they play and with thus. that more in the new season of MST3K but, as yeah. Jonah starts building more robots. Right. And it doesn't go well. But uh, the fact that puppets are involved in the TV wheel shouldn't come as a surprise. No surprise then, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the next big sketch is the giant surprise catalog of professional magic. In which a magician sort of walks uh, you into like uh, the page master into this catalog of magical tricks he's trying to sell you, and he's telling you about how wonderful they are. And his sidekick, a monkey, is actually telling you just like, "No, we're trapped in this catalog. This is a nightmare realm." He's just like, "Yes, this this bow tie trick will give you thousands of laughs." And the la- and monkey yells, "No one laughs in the house of a thousand mysteries. I know this to be true." And then, like, the, even the advertising starts getting weird. Like, you can feel safe buying magic from Vic because he believes in God. <laughs> and that one is just so surreal I had to appreciate it. Uh, there's one about a dude who turns his dog into a chicken because he bought a magic trick from Vic. Mm. And then he can't figure out how to get his chicken back. There's a really weird one about a... Uh, which Dave, I think it's Dave Cross is, like strapped to the inside of a pinball machine and they keep playing pinball with his body mm. until he admits he has an alcoholism problem uh, well it, it it starts out as something kind of cartoony it's like haha isn't it cute that he's he's part of this pinball machine and then they the punchline is okay i admit it i have a drinking problem really really weird it's like um, one of those one of those left turn punchlines uh, then there's like joel and he's like playing the bongos and all of his bongos in his apartment are are playing bongos with them and his neighbors are yelling at him and then um Turns out they're behind the FBI warning and it sort of falls apart. It doesn't really work. I, I'm not really sure what the joke was. There. I don't know what they're getting at. Mm. There's, a, there's a really good one in which uh, these two red robots are in front of an assembly line of other robots. And they're mm. going to make these robots into their slaves. Isn't this great? They're not going to have to do any thinking for themselves. We can do it all. But other red robot. Isn't it true that those robots we're, we're turning into slaves are exactly like us in every way? No, because we are red robots, and those robots are green. Get it? <laughs> and a guy comes out and gives you a long speech, like, really makes you think, doesn't it? And then he tries to sell you on his cult. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to give you your own planet. But it's not like Mormons. You can drink coffee. Like, it's weird bit. Uh, then we had uh, the... Paul Feig shows up and does an impression of a guy who's been poisoned and doesn't know it. And mm. then he promptly dies. That's it. Yeah. Um, what do we got here? Puppet Kiss. We already did that one. 
Uh, though, then there's the one about the guy and his wife, and they're sort of angry at each other, and they're mad because the dog is causing so much uh, ruckus. And yeah, he goes like into the, the, the dog is ruining their lives. So he walks into the living room, and there's nothing in the living room. Because the dog ate it all. The dog ate it all, and he, like, rips open the dog's mouth. And the dog is an obvious puppet. Uh, the, the dog is a, yeah, a prop, and they're, starts, they're like, using... reaching his whole arm for, into this small dog and pulling like, out a chandelier. For, first perspective, they pull out all of the, the furniture. Yeah. And it was just a way to show off their sort of their level of special effects, really. Right. But it's also just such an absurd thing mm. because the dog is fine. Of course, the dog eats him. No. And then she's all happy about it at the end of a Tales in the Crypt episode. <laughs> and then whatever time they have left, that's the time they have for the credits. So the credits just stroll by. They made them physically. All the actors are just running around doing stuff, and then after a while, the timer that the time that they had to do it starts running down, and so they just keep going faster, 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 <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that's the TV wheel, uh, and we go back. What, what was your the- favorite sketch? Because I, uh, I I mentioned it first because I like it best. I like Puppet Kiss, and I also like the dog. Puppet Kiss is good. The dog uh. is a great image. I think the uh, Book of Magic. Okay, I, I thought was quite clever, mm. and it really did feel like its own little world. Mm. And it even used this sort of, um, almost like paper mache cardboard aesthetic. It worked because we're inside a book. Like mm. it felt like it really fit the material uh-huh. and wasn't just shoehorned into it. Some of them are weird. Like some of them are actually like a little uncomfortable. Like when um, the actress comes in and starts taking your top, like, is this what you want? Like uh-huh. it makes you a little uncomfortable after a while. And then like after a while, I think oh, and like, she's and she's crying. Well, yeah, she's it's... crying. But then another. But then Doug Benson does it. Uh, no, I, and he doesn't David Cross do it. No, no, David Cross does the water bed again. There's oh, you're right. Bit, it's Doug Benson. But he also says, "Is this what you want?" And he starts taking off his sweatshirt. Yeah, like like there's <coughs> there's a couple of bits in the middle there where it's literally it's like it's like laugh in where just that the comedian will just pop their head in and do one dumb joke and then move on. Mm. And like one actress says, um, "You know, I'm going to try my new catchphrase. Sock it to me, baby!" And then water spills on her. Mm. And then David Cross pop, pop, pops up later and just says, "I'd like to try that water gag." <laughs> Splash. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get why this is funny. <laughs> And Doug Benson tells a dumb joke, it doesn't work, and he starts taking his top off, and it kind of takes the curse off of the earlier one. Mm. But again, it sells this idea that there's kind of slaves to our mercy. If you consider the idea that the TV wheel is positing Mm. that this is taking place in a physical space, that your TV is a window Uh to another world in which all these people really are just clowns for your amusement. Right. It adds an element of that where there's a sort of more tangibility, more virtual reality to it. Like Mm. it really calls attention to the premise in a way that I can grasp with my with like my heart as opposed Mm. to just my mind. Well, I I think, though, if if the the whole idea is to. You know, I don't. I don't think we should be seeing them as sort of slaves to for our entertainment. No, it's just one we, option. It's it's one. It's it's an option. But this, as Joel explained at ad, ad nauseum, mm. this is trying to capture sort of that thrill of live theater. Right? You've been involved in live theater. Right? Oh, I've been. Yeah, sir. Or I did live theater. Uh, I've, I've you, never been hey, part audience, of a. You think I've been involved in live theater? Do you think I talk like this because I haven't been in live theater? <laughs> you trained with the diaphragm. There's a reason. The I'm strongest loud and muscle boorish. in your body. I'm loud and boorish for a reason. Uh, I've never been involved with like a professional improv comedy troupe, but I've done it as sort of theatrical exercises. I well, I was a theater major, in case you couldn't tell. And so I think this is why some people the, love our podcast and why some people hate our podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Not for, many film critics also are theater kids. Are theater, right? yeah. It shows. It, it, it definitely does. And the so way, weird that we found each other. <laughs> we just happened to live next to each other. That is the origin, by the way. We I just think, happened to live next to each other. I, I think it's just sort of a testament as to how many damn much of us there really are. Um, that sort of theatrical experience, that sort of getting out on stage as an improv comedian and just... Tr- playing with an idea that's just thrown at you coming up with it on the top of your head there's there's a thrill to that and you know of course the idea is to get a laugh but you're not always going to get a laugh and i think that sort of immediacy that sort of theatrical thrill of going out onto stage and kind of doing this daring thing that's not structured and kind of sloppy is what Joel was trying to capture. Right. Having those characters kind of be s- slaves to this other notion is is not not what he was going for. But here's the thing. Mm. I don't think what he was going for was the best approach to this. But mm. regardless, I think that level of intensity and desperation is something that people who do improv, who do live comedy... Uh-huh. Can't appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for God's sake, just laugh. Is this what you want? Like, what do we I need to do to get a response out of you? I have nothing else. <laughs> I have nothing else. We've all felt like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think you work through that and to gain more confidence and you gain better ways to deal with it. But you see, like, a lot of these comedians are really, really young. I bet that was a really fresh memory mm-hmm. of, like, not having that confidence of of kind of desperation moves. A lot of young comedians do a lot of shock value. Yeah. To try yeah. to and there's no nuance, there's not a lot of insight. Some mm. figure it out early, some don't, and they just try to grab you as fast mm. as they can. The T V wheel is a mechanism, literally, that really works with that because you only have a few seconds to do your bit. Yeah. And you do it, you do it as fast as you can, you try to make an impression and then you get the hell out. That intensity, I think, came through in some of the sketches and some of the mm. ideas of the sketches and some of the performances. Yeah. And I latched onto that. Mm. And I dug that. And it, I don't want to turn into Mr. Science Theory 3000 again, where he's trapped and forced to entertain for your amusement. But I don't think it's a coincidence that it came across that way a little bit. Huh. I think that is something that's sort of in his mind. Hmm. That sort of connection between audience and entertainer, in which mm. the entertainer is there for the audience. You know, look at like his MST3K sketches. I've described them before. I talked about it in our interview. It's very didactic. Mm. He's talking to you directly. He's teaching you things. He's mm. he's interacting with you, and that's why I felt such a deep personal connection with MST3K. He was more Mr. Rogers to me than Mr. Yeah. Rogers. It's one of the reasons why I geeked out so much. <laughs> and I think when you see like his intros to the TV wheel, he's less excited about that. He kind of wants to get to the good stuff. The intro on Comedy Central that is very protracted. It's kind of interesting. It's sort of like an EPK, just sort of explaining how it works. But once he throws in his little puppets that are having a bit of an uprising and going to fight against him, that feels really tacked on and isn't really very interesting. Mm. It's like it's mildly amusing, but that's about as far as I'd go. Yeah, th- that part isn't part of like just sort of the, the exciting comedy of anything. No. It, 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 it is clearly, as was its function, just there to fill out the time. Basically. And it feels like it. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think what he was trying to do was break down all barriers. As Let's break as down said, all the barriers. Naked strap wrestling. As, as we've said numerous times already, he was trying to sort of break down the buffer between audience and entertainer. Um, any sort of uh, script or premise uh, would just be another barrier. Uh, so I appreciate that he's just trying to go for a straight sketch comedy. And but he doesn't. I he's love, created this complicated mechanism that takes a long time to explain. It's it's a complicated mechanism, but what he's really trying to do is create controlled chaos. He's right. what, what you said that sort of panic. Uh, what 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 the, the 
film writers call ecstatic truth okay. uh, is you know the the, one, the thing that cannot be faked uh, is what he was really interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think any sort of additional structure to this already complicated thing would just be too much. You said it yourself, controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. That implies a push and pull. That implies an mm-hmm. inherent uh, uh, sort of plot, an inherent mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of character clash. But I, and it, but I, if I only, think, with, if I think only between the creator and the audience. But and it, I think highlighting that and making that part of the concept would have made the concept more palatable, and I think it probably would have grabbed people at HBO more quickly and made them do the show. That that may be very well be true, but I think that that sort of relationship should be implicit in in what we already have. It shouldn't necessarily be something else that needs to be explained. Perhaps. Or, um, what this show required was actually a. That said, <laughs> what the show required was perhaps a stronger writing. Um, what Joel is going for very clearly is a laugh-in vibe. Sure. Laugh-in. I'm not sure how much laugh-in you've seen. I saw um, it a lot when it was on Nick at Night. However, let's not assume anyone on our audience has okay. seen laugh-in because it's an old show and it doesn't go on rerun. Uh, yeah, it's true. You don't see a whole lot of it anymore. But laugh-in is one of the most significant sketch comedy shows in TV history. It's also one of the funniest. Um, it ran for many, many years. It was very political. It was very hippie and youth culture oriented, even though it was run by these old guys in suits, Dan Rode and Dick Martin. And it was snappy to the point of exhaustion. They moved on very, very quickly. Each sketch was very quick. They would edit fast. They would cut to somebody making a quick joke. Richard Nixon would say, sock it to me. Somebody would just say like, <laughs> someone would like do cross eyes, say bum bum, and they cut to the next show, you know, the next short. Yeah. They'd show a big wall of, of comedians and they'd all stick their heads out. Goldie Hawn, who's 16 years old, would stick yeah. out and say, please uh, don't change up. the channel. Just we'll do more yeah, stuff. It, they, they were really trying to get you. And I think that sort of chaotic energy and they would screw up on laughing and they would leave it in it, could, it wasn't edited show but if some like if joey worley made a mistake <laughs> like if she blew a line they just leave it into the show because it right. was funny and yeah. i think that sort of uh frantic freneticism was what uh, joel was really sort of going for yeah and the tv we say joel like he's our friend joel we say joel because he was our host he was our host he was known as joel we call him joel yeah. miss hodgson was going for it sounds yeah. wrong doesn't it, it doesn't sound weird i think the wheel itself is such a stodgy mechanism physically yeah this g- big gigantic rotating stage that it doesn't have enough speed to really get to that. that that's kind of now, the problem with it. He's, he's, so, if, he's so married to the technology, he's not yeah, letting the schedule. If the, be the actors schedules. were wearing harnesses and it spun them in front of the camera, <laughs> they unlatched the harnesses, did the sketch as quickly as possible, threw themselves back under the wall, strapped themselves in, and they spun again, maybe that energy would be there. Here's, here's you know, it's hard to say. We like to think about, oh, what if the series lasted 100 episodes? Mm. We would have had more sketches. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that, that's, that's kind of all They, they wouldn't have changed the gimmick, you know, no, that, that's, that's it. I think maybe they would have honed it more. They would have gotten the timing down more. Yeah. Maybe these uh, these sort of subtextual plot elements that I kept picking up on mm. would have come more to the fore as they realized that they worked. Mm. Maybe they wouldn't. Here, what some, I do think yeah. they would do is they would mm. stop cutting away. Yeah. Because yeah. every time they cut away, and they do this, again, in the first half of the show, a mm. lot, between practically every sketch. They cut to, you see the wheel turning. Mm. You see the guys doing the production. You see the audience laughing. It ruins it. <laughs> it ruins that immediacy. The mm-hmm. whole point is to create a window between you and the audience. 
and to do this live and to prove you're doing it live. You if, just if you proved wanna, you couldn't. If you want to show those shots, do screen within screen, yeah. tilt the camera, you know, do whatever. Tilt the camera yeah. would have been fine. Just turn it so you can see, like, you know, behind the wheel a bit, and you can mm. see, like, oh, okay, it's so interesting how much work is going into this, and then immediately you're back. Yeah, like that might have worked, mm. but it doesn't Here, work that way. Also, here's something that would probably have pleased us both if every episode had some sort of theme to it. Mm. Like, this is all going to be sketches about dogs. This is the dog episode. Yeah, that would have worked. That would have worked a little bit better. Because because that way we at least have something a little bit more concrete to hang on to, but we could still have that chaotic live TV element. I think I think regardless of whether or not mm. uh, my idea to sort of make the wheel sort of like a comedy version of that movie Saw, like I, <laughs> I, I, it, throw that out. Yeah. It needed more focus. Yeah, that's true. It needed something easier to latch on to, um, and it does not have that. It's just a sketch comedy show, which the sketches are really unpolished. And the premise is really difficult to explain, and the pacing is off. Yeah. That's ultimately, like, you can you can talk big about the idea. I'll give you an A-plus on your film school project. <laughs> As a show, it's unwieldy. Uh, so, I guess the, the question, was the TV wheeled canceled too soon? No, but I wish it was more readily available. I it's would, an interesting experiment, it, it's and a, I wish I, it was easier to see. It's a great but experiment. I don't think we more of it. The version we have is, that that's your B-roll that you use to pitch it to a, a, a network. Yeah. That's not your pilot. No. That's, that's the way you show what it is. Without the explanation, just show yeah. the episode and Boom. see how it plays. Yeah. Then you build a better wheel yeah. and you time it better and you film it a little bit more tightly. You, the What we saw was so shabby that the comedy began to fall flat. And there's shabby that it sort of serves itself, that sort of mm. makes you connect it to no, it. Like, we Mr. said, we said there's, a, there's a lot well. of charm to that shabbiness, yeah. but this was a little too shabby for its own good yeah. by the end. I think there's something you can do with this. Mm. You could go back to this idea again with a little bit more polish mm. uh, and a little bit more focus, whatever that is, give it a plot, give mm. it a, 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 just a, 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 an emphasis, a, a theme of the week, whatever you want to do. Mm. But you had to do something because as it stands, it's just an unnecessarily complicated sketch show. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's all you got. Ultimately, yeah. no. take away the, the, the technical gimmick and mm. what's the show? Unnecessarily complicated sketch yeah. show. I, I remember there were a couple of those that were coming out around this time. Mm. Do you remember the show Limbo Land? We might have to talk about that on, no, on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, it was called. It was a sketch comedy show, Limbo Land, and the joke was that all the sketches took place in limbo, like you were dying, and all of the sketches took place against a plain white background. There were no sets. That sounds a bit uh, a bit depressing, actually. Well, d- a little bit dark, but it was funny. Well, there was a lot of stuff I, I, I saw like two episodes and they both made me chuckle a little in bit. In the 90s, there was this real effort to make sort mm. of lo-fi concepts seem hip and edgy. One oh. show I kind of wish we could do, and I think it lasted two seasons, oh. but I, I used to make me laugh my butt off, was Syphil and Dolly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Syphil and Dolly was an MTV from, show MTV, yeah. with, with two sock puppets. Uh-huh. And they would do sketches. Mm. And the sketches weren't very good. <laughs> uh, but I'll always remember this one bit they did uh-huh. where uh, I think Syphil or Ollie, they're one of them, mm. was like, "Oh yeah, I want to be a vampire. Uh, oh really? How are you going to be a, a, a vampire? You're gonna you're gonna like study? Like no, I was gonna like I was gonna like start with fake blood first, <laughs> and then work my way up to the real mm. stuff. Oh, you're gonna be like driven fake blood on Sundays? Yeah. And then they'd sing a song, and it went like this: no. Fake blood. <laughs> 
You rock me like the real thing. And if you were the real thing, you'd scare me more. <laughs> so pour it on. I, like it's the real thing, yeah. It, yeah sadly, Syphil uh, and Ollie, uh, created by Liam Lynch and Matt Krakow, um, lasted three seasons. We you cannot talk about the real thing, yeah. Liam Lynch, who uh, directed a few films, he did like the. Uh, Sarah Silverman stand-up movies. Oh yeah, and that was uh, good. and he also did that uh, that song. I think he was the one who did that song, "The United States of Whatever." If you remember that one, mm. ran into yeah. this girl the other day, and she's like, Ugh, and I'm like, "Whatever," and then they just metal riff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was vaguely funny. <laughs> um, I was a big fan of Stephen Ali, but you know, there was this. There was a lot of stuff like there, like Liquid mm. Television was trying to take all of these mm. sort of comedy sketches people were making and throw well, again, them together as into a new entity. And I've, I've written, you know. I've written about sort of what was happening in the '90s, and a lot of our media was being deconstructed at the time. Yeah, Every, like look at look at Beavis and Butthead. Oh yeah, it's a show about losers who watch MTV for losers who watch MTV. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very also a sub- show that owes a lot to Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the sort of their the way they comment on music videos. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seemed like everything in the 90s that we were growing up with was also a satire of itself. You look at stuff like Scream or, or even like cartoon shows like Animaniacs or like stuff I was watching, like The Tick at the time. Yeah. Uh, these, these were like spoofs of everything that we had seen before. Everything was tired. I mentioned this a lot when we talked about Sam and Max. Mm. We all know the premises. They don't work anymore. Now we're just going to make fun of them openly. Right. And bring, you know, have scripts on camera with us. And I think that's what the, this is falling in line with what the TV wheel was doing. It was trying to analyze and deconstruct the same time as it was presenting. Great idea. There's a lot of great (laughs) material to work with here. I just wish it had gone through a few more drafts before we got the final edition. So so officially, are you saying it was canceled too soon or it wasn't? It it wasn't. It was not the version we got. It it need it need there's a version of this that was canceled too soon. Yeah, there's a because, good idea here somewhere. Because even if they had gone through with it, it's still too high concept to have lasted. Yeah. The good version of this was canceled too soon. So yeah. This version wasn't. That's fair. All right, so yeah. everybody, that is the TV wheel. Yeah. We've been wanting to get to that one for a while. That was actually one of the first ones we wanted to do. Yeah. And then we kept yeah. putting it back, putting it back, and then we realized MSC3K was coming back, and we were getting Joel Hodgson on other podcasts. We kind of have to do uh-huh. it. Uh, we even asked if uh, Joel had the time to come on this show, but mm. he's really busy promoting his new series, and he couldn't do two podcasts with the same Right. Guys. But if you if you love MSC3K like we love it, or even if you're just interested and you think it looks kind of neat, mm. listen to the B-Movies podcast this week as well. We've got Joel Hodgson on there for over an hour talking uh-huh. about the new series, the old series a lot of fun interesting stuff and he was a really really nice mm-hmm. guy um so that is this week's cancel too soon well whitney looks to see if we have any yeah. new letters i'm gonna make a couple of uh, uh reminders and announcements uh starting next month hopefully the beginning of next month but we'll we'll see uh-huh. we are going to be going to patreon uh all of the episodes you currently get will mm-hmm. be readily available for free we're not gonna nothing you're currently getting uh, will be stuff you have to pay for. Mm. But if you have any ideas for stuff you think would be worth a monthly contribution, let us know. You can email us, bmoviespodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. If you have any ideas, we've had a lot of great ideas. We're going to use some of them. Some of them we have our own thoughts um, for different tiers of contributions and get you more content, different content, uh, maybe some merch. Stuff like that. Mm. We are also, in two weeks, going to be having our 
first annual Puchinski Awards. <laughs> We're calling so, Puchinski Awards, right? Is well, that okay? someone suggested we call them the Sunnies, and I actually like that better. You like that better? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a debate about this. We're going to come back to you in two weeks and make this decision. Oh. I like the Puchinskis. Um but we're going to do an award series in which we look back on the the years worth mm-hmm. of, tele- of failed television and sort of think about it in context, sort of have everything compete against each other. It's an excuse for TV series that lasted one episode in the 70s to compete against J.J. Abrams' Alcatraz and just to see who comes out on top. So we're going to do like the best <laughs> the, show, the worst show. In fact, I would happen. I would say there's never been a contest like this. I would think that's fair, actually. But there's also one category which you get to vote for, mm. and if you send in your votes, you we will uh, enter you to be uh, randomly picked out. One entrant will be randomly drawn, and they'll get to force us to do an episode of their choosing. That's right. Provided it fits our rules, and we can find it. Mm. Two stipulations. Uh, so if you email us, bmoviespodcast at gmail.com with your top three favorite episodes of our show. No, not not of the shows we've covered, but yeah. of just of, of us. We want to hear your love of us. Yes, <laughs> fine. We want to hear the ones you like listening to. Mm. And that helps us because we'll actually find out like, oh, what do people like that we're doing? Mm. And right now there's a couple of like front runners, but it's not like it's, it's not like only one episode is the one people like. It's all over the place. There's, there's no runaway. There's no runaway, no so it's still yeah. pretty close. Your in vote fact, still counts. In fact, I think every episode except maybe one has gotten a vote. So pretty yeah, uh, at least one vote. So mm. you you send us your top three and rank them mm. from one to three. If you don't rank them, we're just going to do the order you gave them in one through three. So mm. rank them, make sure we're right, and then we'll tally up the votes and we'll reveal that and mm. we'll also reveal the winner in two weeks. Mm. And I'll tell you what we're doing next week in a second. Let's read some letters. Uh, we have this one comes from Topher. Uh, in your discussion of the master, ah, yes. you opined about the origin of the ninja craze of the 80s. I was there. <laughs> and I believe you missed the seminal film to launch the craze, The Octagon. Ah, yes. Uh, it predated Enter the Ninja and starred Chuck Norris and, wait for it, Lee Van Cleef. From the very first trailer, it captured the imagination of every teenager in the USA. You had never seen anything like it, and it became an obsession with both ninjas and Chuck Norris, this coming right on the heels of A Force of One. Trust me, the Octagon kicked it off. Topher, Seattle, Washington. You um, know, I've never seen the Octagon. I, I'm actually, to be perfectly honest, I think every film critic has mm-hmm. a couple of blind spots. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm not terribly familiar with German cinema or whatever. Mm. Chuck Norris is has a huge filmography, and I've only seen like three of his movies. Mm. And I've actually been making a concerted effort to fix that. Like I rented Delta Force. Mm. I just watched Invasion USA. Finally, that movie. Is oh, amazing. that's so great! You it's just so saw amazing. it. I oh my just gosh! Saw it. it is phenomenal. They make it so easy, don't they? They really do. <laughs> it's a, that's a, that Richard a, Richard Lynch blows up. All, yeah, that's a really entertaining film. Oh yes. So um, so mm. fair enough. Uh, we probably should have mentioned that. Thank you for bringing uh, that up. Octagon 1980. So yeah, um, this one comes from Daniel McVeigh. Uh, hi guys. In 1984, even nerds didn't know the difference between kung fu and ninja. Uh-huh. Great show, Daniel. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I will uh, argue that people who knew kung fu did. And that people that you should have yeah. been talking to if you're making a kung fu or ninja movie probably did, and maybe you should have listened to them. Mm. Um, but fair enough. And there's actually like a lot of interchangeability, particularly in Western cultures. Um, mm. Rick Myers is uh, well, a, a it, great, you, you a can, great film critic uh, who kind of is like the leading historian in America of kung fu and martial arts cinema. And he's written a couple of great books about it, and you should definitely read them. Mm. But he's talked a bit about how, like, when he was writing his book about kung fu cinema. They asked him to like put ninjas in it, 
Like, make sure there's ninjas on the cover, because ninjas are what's selling now. It's like, that's actually a different thing. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, well, and, and really interesting stuff. I mean, Americans look at many martial arts from all over the world and just sort of all equate them. Mm-hmm. It really bugs me when, in a movie, they say, judo chop. There are no chops in judo. Judo's like <laughs> wrestling and pinning you. It's a competitive sport. Yeah. I, I know this because I was involved in judo from age 7 to age 12. So <laughs> there, there, there are chops in karate, but there are no job, chops in judo. Don't say judo chop anymore. Uh, Rick, a, Myers, Rick Myers' books, by the way. Uh, he's written a lot of books, but the ones okay. you should definitely uh, uh, at, read. He uh, did a recent one called Films of Fury, the Kung Fu movie book, and the one that really introduced me to the genre uh, is great martial arts movies from Bruce Lee to Jackie Chan and more. Mm. Those are both, like, great martial arts movies is kind of old, but it's really, really good, and it gives you, like, a, rec- a list of recommendations for, like, every great old Kung Fu movie you should see. Okay. And it's never let me down. They're all pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, this one comes from Channing. Uh, hi, guys. I continue to love your podcast. Yay! Thank you. The Master is right up my alley. Being a 10-year-old boy during the heyday of 80s action shows, I was a huge fan of The A-Team, Knight Rider, The Fall Guy, Simon and & Simon, and others. I wait with bated breath when, uh, for when you guys cover The Wizard. We are looking for The Wizard. We're looking for The Wizard. <laughs> the Wizard is important to do us. Do you guys find, uh, do you have plans to do a one-hit wonder of Street Hawk featuring the blonde, <laughs> the blonde side of Beef Rex Smith? Uh, star of Street Hawk and TV guest star gigs for the next 20 years. It was my all-time favorite show at the time because it was a more violent Knight Rider with a motorcycle with machine guns that fires missiles and can go 200 miles an hour on busy L.A. city streets. Right. Uh, we are actually, uh, I believe Street Hawk is in our Amazon wish list. If it's not, I will add it right now. Do that. Because, because I'm aware of it and it's definitely one we want to get to. Street Hawk. That sounds amazing. Uh, I loved The Master. So he watched the, this. The original, like, unironically. Okay. And I had and I had the theme song as my ringtone until he realized it's basically a ripoff of the Hawaii Five O with Asian motifs. Well, someone else a brought up it's actually uh, Bill Conti's uh, uh, one of the Bill Conti's James Bond themes with like slightly redone, like, it's, like, eerily similar to one uh-huh. of the. I, I want to say it's for mm. your eyes only. Uh, I loved all things ninja and still do. So even the minimal ninja action in every episode was enough to keep me coming back for more until it was summarily canceled, of course. Uh, I have an amusing anecdote about the show. It was for your eyes only. Okay. Uh, One of the producers of The Master spoke in one of my film classes in 2001, long after the show was forgotten. He told us how Lee Van Cleef had a bum knee. So whenever they got into or out of cars, they'd have to film right up until he opens the car door, then cut until after he's in the car, because actually getting into the car was an ordeal. Yeah. So yeah, probably not the best choice for an agile ninja master, but for a squinting and gravitas performance, Van Cleef was the man. Keep up the great work, Channing. Speaking of someone with a bum Uh, knee, I can appreciate that. Good for uh, him. Yeah. Uh, This one comes from Daniel. Uh, Hi, guys. I continue to love the show. In regards to the the master, Whitney asked a question about when the trucker thing happened. Oh, we talked oh, yeah. about that brief sort of pop culture trucker boom in like the yeah. late 70s, like early Peck, 80s. Peck and Paw made a film called Convoy. Yeah, Smokey a... and the Bandit was really big. Trucker lingo was mm-hmm. on everybody's lips. People uh, had CB radios. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah. Uh, it was. I, a th- I also again. I also recommend White Line Fever. I think that movie rules. Uh, yeah, and and we were we were a little hazy as to what the chronology was on the trucker thing. So, okay. um, I was a child at the time, but I remember when the weirdness started. Of course, <laughs> That's a, yeah. hang on, hang on. We need to say that with, like, uh, the gravitas of a post-apocalyptic okay. thriller. I was a child at the time, but I remember when the weirdness started. <laughs> Cigarette. <laughs> of course, of course, truckers had been around since trucks were invented, and they had 
talked on CB radios for a long time, warning each other about Smokey and so on. I think the thing that first popularized it as a subculture was the 1975 song Convoy, yeah. which was a huge hit. Uh, by C.W. McCall did did that song. Uh, It was a huge hit and did inspire a movie several years later. But also in 1975, the movie White Lion Fever came out. Cool flick. Which I don't remember being a huge hit. But in 1977, Smokey and the Bandit came out and was a phenomenon. Then you had Every Which Way But Loose, which was very popular with us kids. And finally, B.J. and the Bear in 1979. uh, To quote Mallrats, something I can't get enough of, a man and his monkey. Uh, but I think the popularity had certainly ended in by 1984. Truckers and movies became child molesters, prostitutes, Johns, and easy victims for monsters like Thelma and Louise. Uh, anyway, keep up the great work, Daniel. Well, another film that sort of like uh-huh. it kind of presages that, but it does kind of get lopped into it is Steven Spielberg's Duel, which is about a yeah. guy who cuts off a, a, a trucker and then the mm. trucker starts chasing him around mm. trying to kill him. It's a good okay. flick. And then Jonathan Mostow did his own riff on that called Breakdown mm. with Kathleen Quinlan and Kurt Russell and J.T. Walsh, and that movie kicks ass that's a really great film that people actually. do not talk yeah. about that movie enough that movie is it's, really it's good. super intense too. yeah really uh, excellent film this one comes from he writes his whole name and i'm gonna read it because it's awesome okay r clay johnson awesome r clay johnson writes in sounds like a sounds like a poet <laughs> from the 1950s we need more people named clay yeah the, we uh we are interact occasionally with a publicist his name is clay Dollarhide. oh that's a and, great name and that, that's a character from a 40s movie know. you know god anyway hey you should be robbing a casino <laughs> r clay johnson writes hey wit and bibs i recently listened to your review of space rangers actually remember watching it when it first aired. Now, granted, I was 10 years old at the time. That was 1994, I believe. Yeah, around that. Um, I was 10 years old at the time, but actually remember preferring it to Deep Space Nine. Mm. It was much more action-oriented and actually reminded me a bit more of Star Trek, uh, more of the Star Trek I was used to. I remember being a little disappointed when I couldn't find it on television anymore. Although I'd probably be a bit disappointed if I rewatched it now, and I do agree that some of the ideas have merit. In fact, I remember being reminded of Space Rangers the first time I watched Firefly, at least based on what my 10-year-old brain could remember. I think that works. They're both very blue-collar uh, sci-fi series about sort of colonialism and frontier life. Yeah, yeah, I, can buy, yeah. I can buy that. Okay. I will say that what you mentioned as the costume is being weird. As a kid, I always just thought that was their way of portraying an alien civilization without making the characters actually alien. Mm-hmm. I also remember most of the scenes being darkly and dimly lit, probably at their attempts at hiding the cheap production values. Oh, yeah, yes, that, that's, a that's good for sure. Look at the original Matrix, 1999. Uh-huh. That movie was not expensive, and the reason why it's shot like a film noir mm. isn't because they didn't want to shoot it brighter. It's one of the reasons mm. why the sequels are bright and green. Yeah. They shot it dark because they had to hide the seams in their production design. <laughs> that's true. Oh. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, he, he says it can skip the following paragraph, but I'm not going to. Uh, okay. uh, does, he tell I, you, does, he, does he demand that you do it? He says you can't. Well, he, uh, it's, it's, as it turns out, he has his own podcast. He says, I will say I was okay, slightly cool. disappointed to see that you had already reviewed it, since I was considering reviewing it for my own podcast. Oh. I host a podcast called Two Seasons or Less. <laughs> All right, so... Li- you know what? A, a like genius. Nice there's, to meet you, there's sir. There's a lot of lists uh-huh. with a similar premise, and I'm pretty sure there's at least one other podcast yeah. with the same premise as well. Which, as the title hints, reviews shows that lasted for two seasons or less. Believe it or not, I actually had the idea and concept before I had even heard of you guys. In fact, when I came up with the concept, I thought it was unique and original. Come to find out, there are at least two other podcasts doing a similar thing. Uh, again, it's it's not common, but yeah. Again, here, here's what these, you need. These lists, uh-huh. the, the re- this show was very much inspired by mm-hmm. lists of Cancel Too Soon series that we used to read in like TV Guide in like the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the idea of cataloging these is around, but there are only a couple of podcasts about it. But Ma- think about how many podcasts there are about bad movies, you know? Yeah. Like, what Ma- you Mr. R. Clay Johnson, here's what you need to remember. Yours and ours are the two best ones. Yes. 
That's the only thing that's Until really significant. Until the other guy here. writes in. <laughs> Until another guy writes no, in. What yeah. makes them different is it's your own take on it. We're yeah. just looking at old stuff and talking about and, it. And, so and, that's fine. and we hope that our scintillating personalities are enough to keep you hooked at least a little bit. Uh, he says, uh, that's actually how I found you guys. I started listening and I've been a fan ever since. Cool. My, po- my podcast reviews episodes, episode and releases bi-weekly. I was started bi-weekly and then we got a little too ambitious for our own damn good, we, but we yeah. We are workaholics. That's that's, that's true. We're, I actually work on that. Like, it's a problem for me. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I can't not yeah. work. So I, we, we really amped it up. I, I think I need to buy you a hammock. That will help. <laughs> Where am I going to put a hammock? Anywhere. Just anywhere you can lay on it. <laughs> Just put uh, it on the ground. Uh, I will say I've taken a few suggestions from your wish list of shows uh, that don't fall within your podcast restrictions. If you ever yeah. have the chance to listen to it, I will love feedback. It's currently on iTunes and Stitcher. Okay. Uh, just keep in mind that I'm just starting out, and so I'm still finding my way. Also, aside from the rotating wheel of guest hosts, I'm basically running the podcast by myself. If you enjoy it or at least see any potential in it, I would love a plug. If nothing else, thanks for your time. Thanks for the podcast. Well, R. Clay Johnson. Okay. So, yeah, go to uh, twoseasonsorless.wordpress.com. Listen to it. And, and, uh, uh, let us know we, what you we think. Have, we have a, a kindred spirit out there yeah and seriously we wish we wish mm-hmm. you all the best of luck there's a lot of shows that i would love to here's a show i would love to hear someone cover we can't cover because it lasted too long mm-hmm. uh murder one okay one of my favorite shows that got canceled too mm-hmm. soon had two amazing seasons and then just got canceled kind of can but it was so good it was the first <laughs> season was one long murder trial and mm-hmm. no one had ever really quite done that in a in a tv show before and then the third one they split it up into three murder trials kind of like that last season of veronica mars eventually did but they were still really good all right yeah that's it that's Never our letter uh, no we have a okay. we also have a suggestion okay uh fishing with john anthony oh, writes yeah. in uh, lasted six episodes, financed with J- Japanese money, picked up by IFC after exposure on the TV show Split Screen. Narrated and starring John Lurie, it's six bizarrely narrated fishing trips with celebrities, including Jim Jarmusch, Tom Waits, Matt Dillon, Willem Dafoe, and Dennis Hopper. <laughs> it's so high on sugar <laughs> for two episodes that he barely finished. <laughs> it's out on DVD uh, on the Criterion Collection. And would be an easy and interesting show to hear about on the podcast. Yeah, you know, that, that's that actually, was a really fantastic suggestion. I've yeah. never seen that, and I actually forgot that was a show i always just saw that on the criteria and i just assumed it was a like a documentary or something uh-huh. um so yeah we've added that to the wish list and mm. we really want to do that one and we'll probably get to it sooner than later because mm. it just sounds neat <laughs> and uh this comes from uh, sammy from winham okay uh hey lads just wondering if you've watched any of the new mst3k yet as we have just iterated yeah we've watched, we I've watched about five episodes maybe six now okay I've, I've only seen two to date i do mm. intend to watch more really digging it uh Best jokes so far are Bones, <laughs> Bones, Jim, Fossil Bones, Fossil Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and Bah, just another damn clue. And, and <laughs> For me, it's the, uh, there's the there's this one bit in Beast of Hollow Mountain where mm-hmm. the stop motion Tyrannosaur or Allosaurus, I think. Um, for whatever reason, they went insane animating its tongue. So it always <laughs> looks like it's singing in close-up on The Simpsons. And they just go, ah! Like it's just it's this really mm. hilarious image. There's also a great song about walking into a stranger's UFO uh, in the Star Crash episode. But the the number one winning thing for me right now. Oh, let me rephrase. The two winning things for me right now are mm. the are the Mad's invention of punt bunnies. They're adorable <laughs> little bunnies that enjoy being kicked. Oh. And uh, also the song "Every Country Has a Monster." Well, from episode great. one, yeah, yeah but they really, really solid. They really came out swinging with yeah, that. It's great. It says, "Keep up the most excellent work." Most excellent work. Oh, like most excellent, as in Bill and Ted. Excellent. And then, meow, meow. and then says, "Sick guitar riff." Yeah. 
So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sammy. Thank you very much. Uh, and that's it. We're caught up. Awesome. So again, you can email us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember watching any of these shows? You have any questions, uh, ideas? Um, mm-hmm. Just want to enter in your own two cents. Uh, you can email us. Podcast at gmail.com. That's bmoviespodcast, all one word. Again, send in your top three episodes of the show so far, ranked, and you will be submitted to uh, have your name picked out of a hat, and you get to pick a future episode of the series. Mm-hmm. Next week, we will be doing uh, the winner of our most recent Twitter poll. <laughs> and uh, Twitter? Yes. Uh, for Earth Day, mm-hmm. we will be doing Earth 2 Day. Earth 2. We will be reviewing the Which, sci-fi series Earth 2. Now, uh, Starring Lorenzo Lamas. It's, ama- it's amazing how many of how many of the shows we've done. Not not only were from the '90s, but were specifically from 1994. 94 is sort of like the center of a lot of bad we're TV. Run for, out for of least, a lot of '94. At least us, but uh, we're this, run this out is of an- a year. another one from '90. It ran from '94 to '95. It ran a full season of one-hour episodes, About 20, 21 episodes, 21 or 22 episodes. So we're really trying to crank um, through it as fast as possible. Yeah, because we really want to get if, it out for Earth Day. If next week is a little late, we apologize, but we're going to try. We're trying to make it um, for Earth Day. That's really is the plan. Uh, it, it was a science fiction show. It was kind of a big budget thing. It was a no, big was, big network show. It was it not had, cheap. It was going to be the next Star Trek. That had had big uh, big cast. Uh, yeah. Clancy Brown was in it. Tim Curry played a, a recurring villain in it. Yeah, um, it's a it's yeah. a solid, interesting the, little show. I'm the really young actress uh, from it went on to be, do uh, the Warlord, which we've talked out on talked about on the show before. I think she did the Warlord? No, she went on to do the Warlord. She went right. on to yeah, do the Warlord no, yeah. after that. And uh, yeah, um, Rebecca Gayhart uh, yeah, was on the, it the as no, well. The Noxima girl. <laughs> <laughs> also, she was in films. She was in films, Urban but I, th- legends. I think, it, but not that was after Earth Two. It was. I, th- I it think was. Earth Two was like one of her big breakouts. Fair enough. So uh, yeah, the, so, the, the Noxzema girl and Tim Curry and Clancy Brown <laughs> and others and others and there's actually a rather large cast. We'll talk about the large cast yeah. as well. Uh, we're gonna have a long, long talk about that one because it's actually kind of an interesting show. Mm. And uh, so far, mm. and I've been burned on this before, so. Don't take this as a spoiler on whether I'm not going to say it's canceled soon. So far, I'm digging it. I'm digging it so far as well. Yeah. But, but again, again I, it might be canceled for not, good reason because it starts sucking later. So we'll see how <laughs> it goes. Um, but that was our Twitter point. Also, next week, we'll have a new Twitter poll for a show we'll do uh, in May. So mm-hmm. stick around. Follow us at CancelCast for more updates and opportunities to, to get involved. Um, and you can follow me at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Please listen to our other podcast. The B-Movies Podcast, uh, where, again, we, we have a cool interview with Joel Hodgson right now. Um, you can also see me on the Schmodown. I was just in the free-for-all, uh, which was 35 contestants doing movie oh, trivia. Geez. Chaos. Total chaos. It was pretty awesome, actually. And I, I did, like, the fourth best, so I felt pretty good about it. Nice. Uh, so, depending on your measure, I might have done higher, depending on what you're... Are you counting the most questions right, the most rounds, like, <laughs> whatever? I did good, and I felt right. pretty solid about it. So I hope you enjoyed that. It's a lot of fun. I actually know so many of the people on the Schmodown. I need to get yeah. you on there. You'd really be really good at it. I'm telling you. Or, or at least to be referee. At- <laughs> Either, referees. either way, I'm going to wear a striped shirt. You dick. All right. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much again for listening to Cancel Too Soon. You can follow us. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher. Uh, we're on a whole bunch of different other services as well. Please leave us a review. It helps us so much. Mm. Uh, and uh, I guess that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>